0: everyone you're listening to Battle Red Radio tonight. I'm joined by Upper Roo Texan and uh, who I'm gonna call Pat as you probably know is Pat and L Fort Blitzer who is Scott as you probably know Scott as well too. How are you fellas doing tonight?
1: Uh doing great man doing great fabulous fabulous.
0: <laughs> well this past weekend you somehow we have four more of these left. You have all the years too to pick to add a 17th game to the schedule and add another week to the schedule, they picked this one for us. And it's like, it just seems so much longer knowing that's the middle of December. We still have you know four more of these and we don't just like take one, one trip into January. We had two trips over there, but we have four more left. This last one that occurred was the Texans loss to the Seattle Seahawks where they were shut out in the second half once again. And I want to make sure to have you know Pat and Scott on uh, one reason for Scott. We haven't talked to him in a little while. And Pat also lives in Seattle, so this is, like, his other team. And so it's uh, it's the game where his heart is kind of torn in two different spots, you know?
2: Eh, not so much these days. Since they're both terrible, it's kind of like, eh, the, it's like Godzilla versus King Kong. Let them fight. I don't care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to decide between, like, being burned alive or decapitation, you know? Do you want it, like, agonizing and painful or just, like, Short, quick, and immediate and gruesome, you know?
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, Sunday was probably towards the latter of that because at least being burned at the stake, at least it's interesting. At least something's happening. Being decapitated, it's just like zip, boom, head to the basket, game over, you're done. And basically, that was it. And you just left kind of disappointed.
0: Yeah, I, I Except think for the whole
2: being dead
1: part.
0: I think that how you know, unless you're
1: kind of caught in a, a torturous situation where you've been suffering prolonged agony and finally they just they've taken they've used every they're gonna get everything out of you and they just want to behead you. So at that point, you're like, okay, good, it's finally over. So
0: Yeah. Fair point. Fair I, point. I, I think they were burnt at the stake, and then Rashad Penny and DK Metcalf, like one pulled one held the basket and the other pulled the string to to end it there in the second half. Um so for this week, kind of the biggest Thing that happened this week compared to last week is that Tyrod Taylor was the starting quarterback of the Houston Texans. David Coley, you know, said you know a couple of times this year that you know they're going to go with the quarterback who gives them the best chance to win. And after last week, you know, Tyrod Taylor having the awful performance he had against the Indianapolis Colts, where it was pretty much identical to Mills. I think he was better than Mills was last week, but he just threw that one interception was the big difference between the two. And Mills got you know some garbage time yards on a cross to Brand Cooks that. You know, pad his stats a little bit. But David Coley decided, you know, Davis Mills gives us the best chance to win. We're going to throw him out there. And this week he started off 14 for 14. He had a touchdown. He had about 130 yards passing. Uh, Scott, what was the biggest reason for his success at the opening parts of this game?
1: Well, I think probably it didn't hurt that he was, you know, the first six weeks he got thrown in, or his first six starts, it was like ultimate fire hose treatment. He wasn't really built for that, so it probably didn't hurt him, you know, to take some time to kind of work on some stuff as a backup. And then he got some time last week in that debacle against Indianapolis. Nobody looked good in that game, really, but it, it probably was like, okay, back on the field, take a few hits, and then go back out. And, and Seattle, yeah, you know, they're definitely not anywhere close to the old Legion of Boom days. I mean, uh, yeah. it—they are, yeah, you know, I definitely one of the bigger disappointments of the season, but you know, that, uh, Seattle, I, I'm not sure what they were thinking they could do, but certainly, uh, Mills was definitely working within the scheme of the offense, you know, making the throws, not trying to be hero ball, just, and, and it worked within the scheme they had. I mean, uh, he was looking pretty competent. The Texans were moving the ball. Uh, of course the usual Texan idiocy of stupid penalties at the wrong time, uh, that's been a trend this year, so that definitely hurt him. But I think Mills got the right start. But then, as with the Texans, like Seattle made the halftime adjustments, the Texans didn't, and then it just turned into when it was still competitive in the second half, they shut him down. And by the time he got something going, Seattle was already up three scores and in prevent defense. So, I'll dump offs to the running back to get ten yards, but milk like thirty seconds of play. Yeah, sure, I can make those completions. So, mm-hmm. but he he didn't play. Super horrible per se. I mean, take it for what it's worth against Seattle, but, you know, not horrific. So it's like, okay, well, let's, let's ride out the season. I mean, if nothing else, it's just a guy we can keep around maybe as a bridge of some sort in 22 and then use our high draft pick, which we <sighs> actually have the first time in a couple of years, like for a legit player, as opposed to like four speeding a quarterback.
0: Yeah. I could imagine having to watch, you know, 17 Davis Mills games next year. Like this game, I think it was kind of Tim Kelly did the Gary Kubiak thing where he had a scripted offense, you know, and they had like twelve to fifteen plays that they knew how to run, and Seattle ran like a, a real cover three heavy scheme. And one of the things against that scheme is that you can run deep crossers where you pretty much just run across the zone coverage, and it's hard for, it's hard to pass those routes, especially when you have cornerbacks covering outside wide receivers who carry you know carry the deep third. On the outside there, and so like a lot of like the downfield throws you saw, like the the route to Collins, the touchdown to Jordan, you know these are throws where they pass protected well, game Mills plenty of time to sit in the pocket, and you know he has three four seconds to wait for his wide receiver to run across the zone coverage, and he hit those throws on on those on those plays. And then also the other thing too about Cover Three is like you can kind of hit screens against them just because you have like four hooks, but you don't, but you only have one guy on the outside of it, and they did a better job like running their screen passes where. Instead of using their offensive tackle, having make the block in the alley, they used Chris Conley to do so. They used Brevin Jordan to do so. They used Farah Brown to do so. And that helped out in their screen game. Actually, was like pretty competent in the first half. And so, I think not really what it was. like. Lots of The pass protection was good. They were able to hit some shots on those deep crossers. The screen game was better. Um, and then the second half, really, all Seattle did was they just started blitzing five, and they played cover one. And the Texans wide receivers have just had problems all year beating man coverage. They had issues, you know, with that last week. You know, Brand Cooks is really the only guy who can do that. But whenever they don't run any rubs, they don't run any man coverage beaters at all, they're kind of like just stuck. And so I think that was kind of a big part of it. And then even when they had guys open, David Mills' accuracy was a lot worse whenever he's not throwing to guys without, you know, three or four yards around. Him. Instead, it was like a guy, you know, kind of breathing close to him, you know. And so I think his, his accuracy really kind of dropped off. And they did some dumb things in pass protection, too, that didn't help them out as well um, in this game. So Pat, what did you think about Davis Mills in this one? Were you like was this a like a perfect Davis Mills games kind of encapsulated? Do you feel any better about watching Davis Mills for the next 4 weeks of the season after this one?
2: First of all, I hate the I thought we were done with the season. And you tell me there's 4 more weeks left. It's like damn it.
0: We um, well, we got we got the Super Bowl. We got Justin Herbert, we got Jimmy G, Sex Kitten. And we got tied in week 18 with Derek Henry.
1: Oh, God. I thought we were done. <laughs> it never but, ends. Um,
2: never. Um, I'm sorry. What was the question? again? I got too busy you, making jokes. After,
0: after this week, do you feel better about the opportunity that Davis Mills is going to give to your life of being able to, for, to watch him play football for the last four weeks of the season?
2: In any kind of competent football sense, no. In the in the sense of he may do something really stupid to you know make me give me a couple of laughs. I think he's got a great promise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which one of the three Stooges would he be for Davis Mills?
2: Oh, um, let's see. He's not curly. He's not funny enough. Um, Shemp, maybe? No, Larry. Wow. He's definitely a Larry. A Larry.
0: All right. Uh, yeah. So in the second half of this game, the Texans went punt, punt, punt. Downs, downs, end of game. And, you know, Scott, we were talking in our pregame notes with our producer, and you kind of gave this really great stat that since the bye week, the Texans have only scored 10 points in the second half, and all 10 of those points came against the Tennessee Titans, and, you know, one of which, of course, was Tyrod Taylor running for a touchdown that one too. Uh, is, do you think this is just, like, another indictment of Tim Kelly being a, a poor play caller and his inability to adjust whenever the defense makes their adjustments in the you know kind of middle part of the football game?
1: I think that's the the whole staff, honestly. I mean, if you're getting outscored in the second half, yeah, I mean, being the coordinator, you got to be able to flex and adjust, but somehow whatever they do at halftime, that's it. And then they come back out onto the field, and the defense certainly is not great, but if your offense is giving you, like, zilch, you know, even the 85 Bears isn't going to help this team. Uh, um, uh, And it's a bit disappointing because he showed – some potential last year but then again if you have a talent like Deshaun Watson you're gonna it's gonna help make you look good anyway um but it's you know scheme adapting but also the offense is only passing game whatever we get it's from the passing game and then if you get a lucky scramble or two because the running game is there is no running game and it you're also not helping like someone like Davis Mills like if he has no running game and he has to be The man with his arm. Well, there ain't a lot of guys in the NFL that can do that. Brady, Rogers, Mills ain't in that category. So (laughs) you're not helping him, but it it just, yeah, it, I'm, Do they bring Kelly back after this year? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure he should come back, but I don't, if you can figure out the strategic direction for this team, please let me know because I got no clue what they're thinking at this point.
0: Yeah, the like every single conversation I've had about what like, the overall direction of the football team kind of looking at the macro side of it, it's like there'll be some conversations about well, will Nick Casario, Casario like put a you know, how will he evaluate wide receivers? Does he spend a lot of money on wide receivers? Do he take the similar approach he took to New England? Does he value, you know, interior offensive linemen, try to get this run game going? And really like, at the end of the day it's like, just get good football players. It like we're so far away from getting into like the nuances of team building, it's just like when the whole roster is bare, when there's dust when there's cobwebs all over it, when there's dandruff all over the scallop, you know, you just need to get some good players to clean it up. And uh like I don't like I'm not really even that interested in you know kind of like the grander ideas of you know principles of team building and philosophies that go along with it. It's just like get good players and see which good players you get and then you kinda have to make your decisions off of that. But I think we're pretty far away from it. Um, you know, Pat, with with Davis Mills, one of the kind of things that came up this week, you know, in the I guess football football atmosphere, that's Twitter dot com. There is some talk that you know Davis Mills statistically is the second best rookie quarterback this year, which he is. You know, he's had some some games kind of blown up by uh, playing really good pass defenses, and also having good games in garbage time. Aside from the game in New England, the game against Los Angeles comes to mind. Um, as well too for like even in this game too like they're in the kind of end of the drive was able to kind of bump his numbers up also do you would you put davis mills ahead of any of the first round quarterbacks that were taking this draft alv lawrence or trey lance or zach wilson or mac jones at all
2: well i think you could safely say not mac jones because honestly he looks like the only good quarterback in the lot so far of the rest of them it's hard to say because i mean to 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 your first point there's a reason the saying goes there's lies, damn lies, and there's statistics, because they're you can say what you want about a statistical play, because like I said, a lot of it's garbage time. A lot of it's coming from um just playing against bad defenses. Seattle, for example. Their defense has gone straight to hell this year and especially and it's banged up, it's not very good. So of course it's gonna get to pass the stats a little bit this year. Of the ones you mentioned, I honestly don't know how many of them actually got playing time a whole lot, but I might put him above Trevor Lawrence, maybe, but I think he, Trevor Lawrence has a has a lot more potential than Davis Mills does. So I'm going to say for right now, maybe de- Trevor Lawrence, but I am willing. I am reserving the right to change my opinions once Trevor Lawrence develops.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way I kind of look at it too. Is that you know with Mills? I think he's made you know three really good throws this year. I guess you'd say five. He made those three against New England. He made that. You know, sideline faith throw to Cooks against Los Angeles against a backup cornerback. and then he made that throw that like, didn't catch, counting it all, but like that rainbow toss to you, know, Cooks as well. And those are like the five really great throws he's made. But Lawrence has made like thirty throws this year that are outrageous. Zach Wilson's made a handful of outrageous throws, and he's a better arm. He's better accuracy, and he's just playing in a broken offense as well too. Uh, Trey Lance can't run the football at all, but again, like he's an incredible athlete, something that Davis Mills doesn't have. And then with Mac Jones, like you mentioned, he's far and away the best rookie quarterback. And he's also the only quarterback who's really playing on an offense that really fits his skill set, you know. So, yeah, I think statistically Davis Mills is the second best quarterback. But I still wouldn't put him in like the same conversations these other guys um, just because they were a lot better in college. They have a lot better athletic profile. They made you more impressive throws, even though they're all kind of the same spot. Similarly, where they're just not playing in offenses that have done a very good job of actually building an offense, their strengths, which has been something that I think the NFL has done a great job of doing probably the last like five or six years for certain teams too. Right. So this was a, another week Scott where the Texans couldn't run the football. They had 25 carries for 63 yards. Um, That comes out to like, like 2.2, 2.3 yards a carry. Are you enjoying the Royce Freeman and Rexburg head era so far after one week of it?
1: I think probably what you need to know about the Texans running game is after last week's game, or after this past game, the leading rusher for the team is still Mark Ingram. <laughs> he has not been on this team God. for over a month. And he only had 294 yards. as He is still leading rusher for the Texans on the season.
0: Unbelievable, and even Davis well, Mills. No, Davis Mills ran good. for eight yards this game too. So you have Burkehead and Freeman combining for twenty-two carries for fifty-five yards.
1: It, I mean, and we and rightfully so. I mean, we just would rip the previous administration for like bullheadedly, like trying to smash the ball up the middle, up the A gap, run up the middle every drive, starting up that way, but. At some point, like, and again, last year with Kelly, he knew his success was going to be get the ball into Sean Watson's hands and get out of the way because the running game was definitely not there last year either. But when you don't have really effective talent under center, and I get you want to try to have some balance and, okay, if you're rushing the ball, then at least you're usually in position to be okay, whether play action, whatever. But it is just, I don't know. I mean. At a certain point it's like just don't don't even bother. Just just stop. Stop running. Stop pretending. Because this this is gonna be I I can't think of a Russian offense that's ever been this bad. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I can't.
0: The Ingram stat is brutal and I I didn't even think of that at all. And Ingram hasn't played here in six games.
2: Yeah. He was traded
0: after the Arizona game, so Los Angeles, Miami, Tennessee, New York, Indy, Seattle, and he still leads the team in rushing.
2: Yeah, are and, I, and it's I, also, I and it's not
0: like he has like four hundred fifty or five hundred rushing yards. He has two hundred ninety-four. <laughs> yeah, then so it goes, it goes. Johnson one seventy-six. Burke one sixty-six. Taylor one fifty-one. Lindsey one thirty on fifty carries. Uh, Mills at twenty-seven. Freeman twenty-five. Cooks twenty-one. Scotty Phillips thirteen. Jordan Akins three, and Jalen Samuels two. Gosh,
2: you know. You know what we need. You know who we haven't tried yet. Jeff Driscoll,
1: running back. <laughs> Yo,
0: yeah. I want to see that butt. I want to see that big old butt Jeff Driscoll has. They. Yeah, just just going go, zero just go snaps last week.
1: Five times, and he'll reapp- he'll appear for you. I don't zero think that team.
0: works right now. He had he was finally active Driscoll, this week, Driscoll, and he played Jeff zero Driscoll. snaps. <laughs> I can't. Oh, it's, I'm so upset. Yeah. I mean,
1: we, even I. I don't know. Just. I can't fathom a team ever having this bad of a running game at any level.
0: Well, and, and what makes it even more remarkable is going into this all the season, like Tim Kelly, you know, thank thank God for Rivers McCown for posting these press conference clips, because I would never watch this stuff, you know, in my own free time, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, he's doing some very, you know, devilish work on his end of it. But Tim Kelly said this summer, you know, the biggest thing I learned last year is how much more we need to run the football. That's really what he said, and like uh, he was like he. That's what he learned after last year. Not an empty spread offense works really well when you have a quarterback the caliber of Deshaun Watson, which is why he had some success as offense coordinator last season. That's not what he learned. What he learned was that he needed to run the football more, and now here we are, and the Texans have an all-time terrible um, rush offense. I know Football outside said last week through 13 weeks this is the worst run offense they've ever charted by a DVOA, but it kind of goes the same thing, you know. Their blocking's bad, the talent's bad, and the scheme is bad. For me personally, watching this game, I just watched Al Woods and his big toy barn and Puna Ford just constantly there in the backfield. And you just see Lane Taylor and Justin Britt and Justin McCrae just like turning around staring at them while they're in the backfield over and over and over and over well, again. Well,
1: they've mastered the lookout block. That's apparent. But <laughs> I think I saw a Britt wave one time. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. They- uh, now, granted, I will say, like, if in the offseason beginning, yeah, you're going to say that stuff. You want to improve the running game. You want to get the balance. I mean, but especially knowing that you're going to have a young team, well, your standard conventional wisdom is you got either a career backup or a really raw prospect. Well, Let's see if we can run the ball and maybe get something going. Oops. But that's the thing. We don't even have that young a team. We have one of the oldest rosters mm-hmm. in the then- league. And that—that that is the other, you know, protect the quarterback. And you and—and and this may be going off some of the script a little bit too. But like you're supposedly having a veteran team, but yet we're among the, in the, at least the top half of the league for penalties.
0: Yeah. What was that? What it's was not the...
1: like all effort too. It's like mental mistake penalties. Like if you're a veteran laden team, at least you—you you shouldn't, in theory, be even making half of these things, and yet you do.
0: Yeah, Pat. What was the penalty tracker for this week? We had
2: seven this time.
0: <laughs> and how many did Seattle have?
2: Oh God,
1: I didn't track there's like I want to say like five maybe. I thought they
0: actually got more
1: penalties than we did this, this game. I thought the box score was eight to six, but someone checked me on that. But
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah, I think you're the one keeping track of it this week. Yeah. Like, I, I can't believe right. the Texans lost. They had less penalties. They should have won this game. How did that yeah. not happen? This is insane. The, you know, I can't believe discipline. David David Coley's uh Physics that he's been you know, put together and how the universe operates. I think he missed a couple variables there. You know.
2: Well, he's just vibing. I mean, don't. It's not his fault.
0: <laughs> Is that what you call that? Is that vibing? Yeah, he looks. He looks, he a looks like time, an you know? angry defensive driving teacher.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, because they're try They're asking him to do things. That's not what his job description was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Are there, Pat, are there any former running backs you'd like to see start for the Houston Texans? Because we saw Ingram, we've seen Burkhead, we've seen David Johnson, we saw Royce Freeman now. Uh, since Adrian Peterson's in Seattle, that is an option. Are there any, like, former running backs kind of hanging around there you think, they should come in here, we we missed that guy, let's see what he can do now.
2: I mean, you'd have to get him out of retirement and you'd have to dump, drive a physical dump truck full of money to do it, but for nothing else, Entertainment value. Also, I still think he's got like maybe one or two years left in him. Marshawn Lynch.
0: I think <laughs> I think he could get three yards of carry. Oh. Yeah, nice.
2: he could do better than anyone on this roster. Just even just pulverizing the defense, he'd still be doing a little bit better than what whatever Bex Rookhead or Pinto Freeman or any of the other care bears we got on the, in the running <laughs> game.
1: I don't know. I think since we're going through like the New England alumni association, we can get him out of retirement, but see if you can find Kevin Falk around too. I mean, let's just get, let's just, let's just bring the whole band back together.
0: There has to be uh all right, let's see if I can find a good list for it. I was, I was going, I can go off of you, Pat. I was kind of thinking Thomas Rawls. Cause you remember he had that one really great oh, yeah. season where he led the NFL and rush offense DVLA. A couple of them, yeah. yeah. And then he got hurt, and we really haven't seen anything from him at all. I wonder what Thomas Rawls is up to right now.
2: I actually bumped into him at a Buffalo Wild Wings down in my home like my neighbor- in my neighborhood, in Farrow Way, Washington. He was hmm. like signing an eyebrass and stuff. He just happened to walk in, get some wings, and suddenly everyone was around him. That's so exciting. That's what he's doing. He's hanging around at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs>
1: well, I mean there's worse fakes in life, so I mean good on him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah, he's find living his best life. I can't find a very good list here. Maybe I should have done more of a a better job, looking through every single practice squad instead of taking care of my child, and, and so I would be better prepared to think of a another good running back they could, you know, have here instead. It sucks that Jared McKinnon's signed. Jared McKinnon would have been anyway. fine, I guess, if we're here at this point. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's bad, and like I don't know. I just I'm excited to watch the video of, of this week mainly because of how good Ford and Woods were. Because I like good football regardless of what the Texans are doing. And so I'm interested to see just, like, what it was. But I just know the Texans interior had a a lot of problems. Like, if you – next week, whenever you watch the Texans, watch Lane Taylor a little bit, and he's always on the ground. Like, he's on the ground for at least, like, 10 of the 45 offensive plays they run.
2: So he's Randy from A Christmas Story is what you're telling me. Exactly.
0: (laughs) He's slipping. He's falling. He's getting, like, knocked backwards on his back. Uh, just over and over again. But going on here at the offensive line, the Texans gave up two sacks this week. Uh, One of them was like a pull by Farrell Brown on like split zone to sell where you know Darrell Taylor is, is so fast off the edge and he was able to go right around him and bend the corner and take down Mills. The other one was Tyus Howard was chipped. And I don't know why they do it. Tyus Howard doesn't need to be chipped. And it's like when you chip offensive tackles, a lot of times it doesn't really help them. It hurts them because it messes up their pass set. And, like, Howard wasn't able to recover by the chip because there was an inside move. He was able to get his punch on him and really kind of grabbed the chest and got B inside to get the other sack for it. Uh, Scott, are you all in on Tyus Howard surpassing Laramie Tunsil left tackle? Or do you want to keep these two guys at left tackle and right tackle going forward for future seasons? Or are you ready for the Laramie Tunsil trade to happen this offseason?
1: Trying to figure out the Texans' management, that's...
0: It's what you want you in know. your heart. It's what you want in your heart. It's not what Nick Casario wants.
1: Well, I, you know, I'd have just honestly, to start this out, just left Howard at right tackle. I mean, you had him there, and he was at least serviceable, and you need serviceable you know, serviceability, if nothing else, for this team. And then you're screwing around with him trying out a guard. I'm surprised I haven't put him at center and tight end, but I don't rule that out the last few games of the season. Um, I mean, if he does confident enough, then I'm okay. If you think you can get something with Tunsil, granted you've already shot the cap.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, what are
1: we looking at? Dead money, at least $35 million. That's not counting what they're going to do with Watson or not with Watson.
0: I think that's it's like $43 million now too.
1: Yeah, because next season's when that extension kicks in. So, I mean, and, and that gets to the bigger question, what do you do in the off season? But, I mean... At least let Howard play at some variant of tackle, either right or left. He's shown competency at those. At guard, uh, no, definitely not. Uh, you, I mean, it's not like you got a whole lot of other talent anyway. But you just you keep jerking him around like that. He's not going to get any consistency. And then next thing you know, you're having to draft new tackles again anyway. At least let him see if he can hold down the right or left tackle for a while. For Tunsil. I mean, you've given him a huge contract. I don't know what caponomics you're going to be able to do to mitigate that over the next couple seasons because you've backloaded everything to next year. But, I mean, if you're just going to outright waive Cunningham without having already screwed up the cap numbers for him anyway, I mean, why not screw it up with Tunsil and just make twenty, you know, 22 a bad season? I don't know.
0: What about you, Pat? What's your take on the Tunsil situation?
2: I think if we're... We should at least we should get room because Howard, in his limited experience, hasn't been terrible. He, I think, this is kind of where he was. I mean, it's where he was drafted to be, and he's looked okay. He's looked pretty good, and that's kind of what Tunsil's been giving us. And if we can get something for Tunsil, that's a little bit more in the chest to you know develop with, more for Nick Casario to screw up.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the way I kind of see it, too. Like, I think Howard's been a competent enough pass protector, and he's just so wide, too, that it's just really hard to get around him. And I, I kind of think, like, if you just give him a little bit more time, let him get his hands and his punch timing down, he'll be, like, you, he has a possibility and the potential to be a top-10 pass blocking left tackle. And, like, the difference between 10th and 5th really isn't worth, you know, $20 million and that sort of thing and uh like i just don't I don't think Tensil's worth a cap hit he has a cap hit next year twenty two million dollars and so Tunsil, you either extend him next year to a long term five year contract, and then you have you have all your money soaked up into two offensive tackles without a quarterback without an offensive line without any wide receivers and you just have you just have your money tied up into like being good at one thing that does not think really matter all that much with some of the the way this rosters kind of built out right now too, and so i'm I'm all in on trading Tensil for. set like early second round pick i like river's idea of getting a 2023 first round pick so that way is the potential may be a top 10 pick if you get them to the right team they have like a seattle season had this year or you're like chicago had this year where they trade up a first round pick and then ends up being worth a a top 10 pick on accident like houston saw at miami the year before too and so i like the idea of trading to jacksonville or carolina um, in the early part of the second round, I also like the idea of getting a 2023 first round pick too, because next year I don't think it's going to matter very much as well either. You know.
1: Well, especially if you're kneecapping yourself with all the caponomics, and I'm, maybe they can do something in the off season with it. But
0: I mean, you have to extend Tunsil if you're going to keep him here, because you can't. You're yeah. not going to pay him 22 million dollars, you know. So it's either no. you either extend him or you trade him, and you're not going to cut him, you know.
1: Well. <laughs> In theory, but if he proves the toxic culture guy a la Cunningham or something, you never know. I mean,
0: Yeah. With this, and that, with and this roster,
1: I, I don't – this management, I, I rule nothing out, for, for better or worse.
0: Yeah, that's a good, yeah. that's a good point, too, because the injury this year, you know, he was supposed to be back four weeks ago, and he started working out, and now it's just like a personal decision and medical staff decision, but it really just seems like Tunsil doesn't want to play for this bad team with four weeks left. You know, he doesn't have any motivation to be out there.
1: And I can't say I blame him necessarily. Either. either. You know, you've got that kind of money, and whether you're still making your money for the Texans or somewhere else, you're still fairly valuable commodity. And you know, it. I I can see it as a as a real business decision in a business. So I I, you know, I don't blame him if he if he wants to say eh, I'm not sure. I'm hundred percent.
0: It's it's crazy that, in like in a world where you're you you made you know fourteen million dollars this year. You're like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm not gonna do my job at all that I I signed up here to do. I uh, wish. It's That's insane, dream, man. <laughs> it's insane.
1: You know what that job is? Can you tell me?
0: <laughs> well, it's quite left tackle for the Houston Texans. Is what that job is. Okay, sure. And do, uh, they, take,
2: do they take resumes?
0: Maybe, maybe. I think you could be their offensive I, line coach. The way it's been too. I'm
2: about the I'm about to big enough size to play left tackle.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and also the Texans may also be. I think. I think. It probably isn't just all Tensil. I think it's also an agreement with Houston too. They're like, look, you know, we have two wins. We're gonna put Titus over here. We're probably gonna look to move you this offseason, just hang out, don't say anything, and uh, you know, we'll get you out of here next year and you'll be able to sign another contract extension and make, you know, eighteen million dollars again as well too. But yeah, like I mean having Howard and Tensor at right tackle, left tackle isn't a bad idea, but it's just like the competitive window of the team, you know, 'cause talent talent has different peaks, you know, everybody peaks at different times and they're like in the very initial stages of being you're competitive if they are in like the next two or three years. And so I just don't think having all your resources tied up to those two positions you makes much sense for the long term. Um, Pat, what's your favorite Texans offensive line combination? Because we've seen a wide variety of them this year. I think we've seen seven or eight different ones this season.
2: Well, we only gave up two sacks this time, so I'm pretty okay with the one we got. I mean, I'm not exactly the greatest like line Rotator guy, or one knows who's um, who's playing what at one time. But this one was pretty okay, I thought. So as far as as long as Titus is playing left tackle, just to see what we can keep doing with that, the rest of it I'm pretty much fine with because they seem pretty interchangeable.
0: Yeah, I like that. If really like when people ask me anything about the team right now, our offensive lines so I'm like the only thing matters is Titus Howard's playing left tackle. But <laughs> like, the rest of it really doesn't matter because Lane Taylor I don't think is a long term option. Neither is Justin Britt. Uh, neither uh, neither yeah, is so McCray
2: I was so mad when they signed Justin Bray like you do not know what you're in for guys we <laughs> this was a mistake
0: mm-hmm. and and they well, brought him back over Morrissey as well too whenever Morrissey came back I will say like I went, I'm gonna watch this game three times I watched it live I watched a condensed version today I'm gonna watch the coaches film tomorrow and uh i and like i thought i don't like football anymore watching the texans and then i watched that bills bucks game i was like oh yeah i do like football football's a good thing but it, watching the texans this much has kind of changed that but watching the condensed game again today i think charlie heck was like a lot better as a pass protector than he'd been in previous weeks where his anchor was a lot better he was mean guys a lot more square um his punch is a lot better. And he's just had problems the past few weeks where he was turning too early and make and then like lunging when he punched and not timing that correctly. And he looks a lot better on that right hand side. He didn't get up any sacks at all on his end of it too for the first time, I think in a few weeks also. So I'm excited watch to watch and see what Charlie Heck uh puts together this past weekend. Scott, what's your favorite Texans offensive line combination?
1: Well, I don't think they found any that can actually run block for more than 2.5 yards of carry, but, um, I I think I'd have to agree, you know, with Pat here, at least if nothing else, keep Howard, if left tackle, right tackle, fine, just quit jerking him around at, at the guard positions. Dude was brought in as a tackle, let him do what he was meant to do. And then for the rest, well, you know, just try not to get anyone else killed if possible, but I don't. I can't prom, No one can promise that at this point. So,
0: yeah, I'm so surprised. Whenever Howard was drafted, they didn't give him at least like a shot at left tackle. You know, like he like Matt Khalil was hidden from the media. Uh, they made the trade for Tunsil. They put Howard at right guard to start the year, his rookie season, and then they eventually moved him to right tackle. Um, and man, I can't remember who they started right tackle week one that game. I feel like it was Sancho Henderson still, but. I hope I'm wrong. I think it was. I, I think it was Andre right. Henderson. and then he yeah, got hurt again. He come
1: back from injury, and they brought him back for one one Long more game. round. Unfortunately,
0: yeah. And then he moved a right tackle, and like he's been a he's been a good pass protector. He just has had problems run blocking and run pass protecting. is not as important the interior. It's more about you move in the line of scrimmage too. But yeah, I think this has probably been like I just don't like Lane Taylor very much. You know, like I rather watch Justin McCray than Lane Taylor. But Max Sharping's been so bad also that I don't really want to watch Max Sharping play. So, like, I don't know. Maybe give me Cole Toner. I want to see what Cole Toner can do. I, I think he may. Let's see if he's something more than an Office Depot employee, you know. I want to see Cole Toner at left guard and see if uh, he can do anything over there. Because I just don't think Lane Taylor or Max Sharping is any sort of long-term option at left guard. And that's the last guy that we haven't seen yet this year.
2: Or open tryouts. Because sure. you can't tell me there's no one in the entire city of Houston that couldn't be as big as any of the guys we got, and maybe a little better with no training.
0: Yeah, we need to dive through some practice squads and find find another left guard they can have. They've been using Max Sharping as a six offensive lineman, though, which is kind of sad and fine at the same time. Like, oh, there he is. Man, he was bad this year. But he's out there. I'm glad he's out there a little bit.
2: Oh, bless his heart.
0: Uh, so the Texans had a top ten defense by DVOA entering this game, and like I've always, I've been kind of saying for the this season that I don't think it's a a real statistic at all for the Texans this year. I think it's a byproduct of just having as many turnovers that they've had. Um, but so like I don't know, I just don't think Lovey Smith has done that great of a great, great that that great of a job. Um, they've used it from the only good thing about Lovey Smith is he's done a bunch of different things this year where he's used a bunch of different coverages, he's changed things up, as you know, his cover two typical defense really hasn't worked you know very well at all this year. And so this week was kind of the first week where they were kind of really, or not the first week, but it was kind of the first week in the last five weeks where they were really chewed up by a pass offense. Russell Wilson was 17 of 18 for 260 yards and had two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Uh, Pat, was this like the first real good Russell Wilson game since he came back from injury?
2: I'd say it's Probably one of his better ones. He's been slowly but sure. I think, honestly, I think he rushed his, himself to get back on um to get back on the field because he just he's just that kind of guy. He just wants to play, and I think he came off too early. That's why he looked. That's why he looked pretty bad to start off. And I think his fingers finally start is finally healed and he's finally getting back to the Russell Wilson we've all come to expect him to be. And I think. Yeah, it's I think it's just Russell Wilson finally doing what he's a, keep, fully capable of doing. Mm-hmm. About bloody time.
0: Yeah, I know they said in the pregame stuff that this was the first time he was able to go through his full walkthrough uh because of the finger and so I mean I think so too. I think like his, his struggles against Green Bay was mainly because they have a, a great two high safety defense right now and they he really couldn't throw his vertical passes, but his struggles against Washington I think had a lot more to do with the finger like his problems throwing the ball downfield, but the touches there, he was putting it, you know, right on the sideline in the perfect spots against uh, Houston's pass defense. What do you think, Scott? Do you think that were you buying the Texans having a top ten pass defense this year? Uh, no, <laughs>
1: um, and, and I think, you, know, and I think Pat, you hit the nail on the head with the uh, lies, you know, lies, damn lies and statistics. You know, um, yeah, the turnovers have certainly helped, but when they don't get a turnover. I mean, they're they're not much better than the 2020 variant on defense. And it's and in particular you see once offenses get the get the range of what Lovey Smith is doing in the second half. I think in some cases the defense is just a little bit better. But when you have no offense in the second half and this defense is definitely not good enough to win a game by itself, barely can win a quarter by itself. Um, You know, they're. Yeah, I suppose in some way, some aspect, the defense can probably be good, but you know, yardage are not good. Points allowed definitely not good. And then you just watch in the flow of games; it's like, no, no, they it the, if they don't if they didn't have the turnovers, we might actually be looking fondly on the twenty twenty defense. I think.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's really the one thing that has, has saved them this year, and you know, they just have problems getting stops. You know, they have problems getting off the field on on third down mm-hmm. this season. Um, You're know, pulling up the numbers real fast here. On third downs, they are uh, 23rd in third down defense, the conversion rate of 42.7%, and 27th on fourth down defense with a conversion rate of 64.3%. And they have, like, a, they're twenty 21st in red zone defense, too. And so, like, they just have problems against stops and off the fields. And we kind of saw that a few times this day. Like, they're really, like, the only big stop they made in the first half was Garrett Wallow getting that tackle on the toss play to Penny. But aside from that, they weren't able to get off the, the field you know very well at all in this game. Um, so, Pat, how much did you enjoy watching Lion Johnson Jr. play cornerback against DK Metcalf in that second half?
2: Please, that's what I think of. God, that was just the worst damn thing I've seen.
0: Oh, how do we...
2: I wonder we could even ask the question if we're top 10 defense, if he's playing anywhere on it. <laughs> it's impossible oh god he's just terrible
0: i my fair thing about terrible. watching him play cornerback was that safety you know he would play 30 yards off the ball just staying in the deep middle making sure he wouldn't get beat and then now at cornerback he plays seven yards off the line of scrimmage what to make sure he doesn't get beat deep and you kind of saw in that whip route that you're that slant route that Wilson threw behind him you saw in that double move that he was able to draw the defensive pass interference penalty on, and then also in that second uh, long Rashad Penny touchdown run, that was just Johnson Jr. taking a poor angle to try and get a hat on Penny too, that that led to that touchdown. Um, to really kind like that was the last nail in the coffin for the Texans in this one. Uh, what's your favorite DK Metcalf hair dye color, Pat?
2: Um, there was actually. A Thursday night game between the the Hawks and the Rams, and they caught a picture of him, and he had like it was their color rush jerseys, and those are those
0: the those amazing,
2: ones. yeah, those lime rave green ones. And his hair was dyed to match. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't see that one. I need to find a picture of that uh, of the the spearmint gum color hair as well too. <laughs> So, so, Scott, in the secondary right now, we have Eric Murray, we have Justin Reed, we have Tavier Thomas, we have Johnson Jr. at corner as well, we have Desmond King. Out of these players, who would you want to see play for the 2022 Houston Texans? And Ugh. Terrence Mitchell as well, don't worry, Terrence Mitchell.
1: Uh, I guess you can, unfortunately. Um, I mean, he hasn't played supremely this year, but... Of the talent potential, it's Reed, but I'm not expecting him back, Uh, particularly if he's running afoul of team culture and team discipline, which, you know, is, you know, valued above all else in the organization. So I'm not placing a lot of money on him being back. Um, I mean, it's been even in some of their stronger teams, the Texans have never really had a great secondary. I mean, maybe some of the early teams, they had some guys that were fairly good, but it's been a weakness. And then certainly this lineup, I I guess maybe in some respects, they've had their moments a little bit better than last year, but this secondary is not, I don't know. I mean, if you had to keep any of them, maybe read, but otherwise just, you know, full, you know, throw all the cards back in and get five new ones dealt.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, having you know a two, a seven, of uh, a ten, and like a six or something, you know.
1: Yeah, it's all, all you know, two seven off suit. You know, the worst worst hand, yeah. honestly. So I mean, you just just fold, you know, fold and wait for the next round, <laughs> honestly. I, I...
0: Yeah, one of the things that I kind of kind of see just like log on the internet as you see some like kind of clamoring for Terrence Mitchell. But he's been really bad since they stopped playing cover two all the time. You know, they don't have a cornerback on the outside who can play man coverage at all whatsoever. And, you know, he struggled playing cover three, he struggled playing cover four. And this was a really bad Terrence Mitchell game where he got beat by Tyler Lockett, you know, once on that one touchdown. Um, a second on that out route or that up or out and up down the sideline. He was also blocked by doing Eskridge on pulling across the formation on that Rashad Penny touchdown too, and he's just had a he's just been awful since they kind of went away from that cover too. I mean, really, I don't I don't think Justin Reeve will be back next year. I think like he's a like a plus player at the deep middle safety position. He's not like a Pro Bowl player probably at all, but maybe if he's in a, in a different maybe like on a different team where they're able to really kind of nail down his role at deep middle safety. Maybe he could kind of reach at that Pro Bowl level where you think the talent's there for it. I just don't think it's ever going to happen in Houston. And I think, like, really the only guy I would like to see next year from the safety from this cornerback group is Tavier Thomas, and he just hasn't really been tested a whole lot because of how bad the outside cornerback play has been. But like there in the slot, he had a really good pass coverage rep against Tower Lock on that fade route. He's been good in and run coverage as well too. He's gonna be a few times, but he's able to kind of chase back and make plays on the ball. And like I don't know if he's good or not. I just I just don't know we don't know that he's bad. And it's like everybody else, it's like, you know, except for Justin Reeve, like we know they're bad. But at least with Thomas, we don't know if he's good or not. But like we we know he's not terrible. And so I think for that reason alone, he's worth keeping around for another year. I believe he's under contract um for next year as well too. But he's been he's been one of the kind of like he it's he doesn't really pop up all that much because he doesn't get tested because again the outside cornerback plays so bad. But whenever he pops up, he's made some plays this year, and he's been you know kind of one of the the little lights in the in the abyss this season. So that yeah, te- in
2: this case, I guess – yeah,
0: go ahead. No, no, I was there's dead space. So I was going to talk talk through it. What <laughs> are you saying?
2: I was just I was just going to say it's in this case it's usually unlike of some, certain certain. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Unlike certain circumstances, this case,
1: it's the devil you don't know what you want over the devil you do know.
0: Yes, for sure. At this
1: point, we'll take unknown unknown qualities and quantities, you know, because what's known, you don't want.
0: Yeah, Tavier may have a tail, we just don't know if it's forked or not. And so until we know if it's forked or not, it's all right, We we can deal with the tail, but we have to find out if it's forked or not next year. Uh, but like he may be a player next year. Yeah. (laughs) He may be like, Thomas Uh, may be awful next year. You know, like he very well could be, uh, whenever he's tested more, if they actually get some outside cornerback play. But for now, like he's been, you know, kind of, uh, kind of fun. Uh, so the pass rush really wasn't there at all this week. They had one quarterback hit, and that was on Ross Blacklock. And I can't even remember what that, when that quarterback hit happened, the Seahawks did a really good job you know, using boot plays and even running play action, like deep vertical passing concepts. Wilson had a ton of time to throw. And then whenever there was able to be a little bit of a crack in the line of scrimmage, he was able to kind of maneuver and escape it and uh, and, and find holes in the zone coverage from there. And this was also game two where their right tackle was on the inactive list in, in Brandon Snell, And we had Jake Curran, who's an undrafted free agent from California, who looks just like Shrek if you want to pull up his... Pro football (laughs) reference picture. He (laughs) looks just like Shrek. Uh, He he was there at right tackle, and no pass rush really at all this week at all from the Texans against an offensive line that's typically known as being, you know, Baggins' pass protection, especially, you know, Damon Lewis on uh, at right guard as well, too. Uh, Pat, knowing the Seahawks as well as you do, are you surprised the Texans didn't get much pass rush in this game?
2: Not really. I mean, unlike... There's a long stretch of years where offensive line was the thing you expected to get Russell Wilson killed. Now it's, I don't want to say good, but it's, it's marginal. It's okay. And I would like to just, so I'm not terribly surprised he had a lot of running room. Plus Russell Wilson's a, a sorcerer. So we know he can get around get out of jams when he does, when passing does break down. But um, I'd like to take this moment to uh, address Dwayne Brown, who I know is listening. Um, Dwayne, I miss you, and we all love you, and we would like you to come home. I'm sure we could work it out. Bob's dead; you don't have to worry about him anymore. Just come home to Houston. We'll we'll make it worth your while. We'll, we'll find something. We'll find something to make you happy here. I mean, Mike revolved kidnapping Cal McNair and you know taking his money and giving it to you, but. We'll figure something out. Just please come home.
1: We'll buy the medicinal rocks. How's that for you?
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, we, we'll uh, send you your all the beef you want from Mexico uh, if you come back <laughs> to Houston. Hell yeah! It was, there was some fun pass, pass rush reps with him against Jonathan Grenard. at the left tackle position. He's just he's enormous. He still plays at a high level. Now, Pat, do you think Dwayne Brown's a Hall of Fame left tackle?
2: Nah, uh, he's very good, but I don't think he's quite. Hall of Fame worthy because he's, he's been very good. He's the best left tackle the Seahawks have had a long time, but he's certainly not Walter Jones level
1: we're talking here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If there was more pro football focus lists that were like Dwayne Brown's a top five tackle and he was this 15 or 12 of the 15 years or whatever, I think there'd be more talk of it. Um, and also if he went to Super Bowl, maybe a little bit different too. But I think he's like... I don't know. I think he should be nominated. I think he should get past a cut or two. Uh, But yeah, like with other, he's always been like probably the sixth best left tackle in the league, not like the third best. And I think that's what's going to hinder him. So Scott, how beautiful is it that Kaimi Fairbairn can't make a field goal from 50 to 59 yards? He just has a black spot in his his brain where he can't make field goals from that distance, but 60 plus, he can nail anything. He made a a 61-yard field goal in this game that would have been good from 65. This and the fake fake punt have been the best highlights of Houston's season. I want to I want to hear you uh, <laughs> lament on the beauty of Kimi Fairbairn's 61-yard field goal.
1: Well, now, sometimes it's that mental block. 50 to 59, it just it can just be really hard to get through that. But then 60, you just let it ride.
0: 52 is a scary uh, number. The scariest yeah. number is 52.
1: Now, I mean, that's although if Jonathan Weeks hadn't had that one penalty. I just wonder if they would have maybe seen, you know, you hit a 61-yarder, you got to be thinking, okay, I could get 60. Maybe I can finally crack through on that 50-plus-yard issue. Because so, he would have been possibly looking at a 59-yarder, I believe, until uh, Weeks had that penalty, and then that moved him to where they had to punt. So I, that would have been fun to see, though. Just You know, you were only down six at that point. And if Fairbairn gets that, you know, culture man strength kick going again, then, you know, you're only down three, and you've actually scored an offensive point in the second half. Uh, Would have been fun to see. But, I mean, in a game that has, you know, for a first half, definitely good. I mean, you had the Seattle, you know, the Seahawk is back there ready to return, have a kick six, and then suddenly just sees that thing go through. And, you know, he was just like, "Eh, Easter be it, Easter be it. But, so, it's... Uh, it was, that was a good highlight for him, and you know, good on the guy for doing that. But I was so yeah. ready for that to be a kick six. That was
0: <laughs> that <laughs> me too.
2: <laughs> and never mind the fifty-yarders. He has trouble making extra points. How the <laughs> hell did he kick a sixty-one-yard field goal if he can't kick from where the hell the kick extra point yard line is now?
1: All right, new new procedure now. They're going to Texas have to get about thirty yards in penalties so it can hit a sixty-one-yard extra point. No problems from here on in. This will not be a hard thing for them to accomplish.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, <but> Yes. <laughs> yeah, I uh, and also that kick probably been gone, probably would have been good from sixty five or sixty six. But yeah, I agree with you. Pat, I saw Metcalf stand back there. I just got flashes of Jamal Agnew doing it against the Cardinals with that great Gus Johnson call. It was just Agnew, Agnew, <laughs> Agnew. <laughs> it was the it was the best play call uh, that I heard this Robert year. Middle- football game yeah I was ready for I was ready for Metcalf to do exactly that but you know it worked for him I still think the fake fake punt's been the highlight of the season and uh, as great as Kaimi's individual effort here was nothing will will surpass that beautiful failure that that was Uh, Pat how did you like seeing uh, Jack Easterby consoling Cam McGregor Hill after he ended up being okay with the non-contact knee injury
2: I'm not gonna lie, I totally missed that. I didn't I don't know if it's just because I refuse to see my brain refuses to process his image or I just wasn't looking at the right time, like I was looking down at the computer at the moment, but I totally missed him. I, I saw I saw Gruje Hill, I saw him in the car, I saw him with his head, <laughs> I saw him with the little towel on his head. And I did not see Easterby there. It was it's the weirdest thing, because BFB mentioned, is that Jack Easterby? I was like, wait, where? Because I was scrambling, I even backed up the VC. DC- I even backed up the DVR because it's the only game I get to watch at home, and I didn't see him.
1: Well, maybe the fact that Easterby was there, and then suddenly I believe the news came out today that uh, he's now on the uh, reserve COVID list. So you know, make of that what you will.
0: Easterby is, or he's a vampire. No,
1: Hill. Uh, okay, it's ah.
0: <laughs> like all right. It's like man. Uh, I'm
1: sure there's some joke in there about like COVID doesn't even want any part of Easterby, So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. Or some he's,
2: or he's where COVID started. And you can't disco- We can't discard that as a theory.
1: Well, what was he doing like in the latter part of 2019 for his
0: travels? Was he on the road somewhere? He was learning about leadership in totalitarian China to to bring to the Houston Texans. You know.
2: He was refining his culture in an unknown area of China. That's exactly it.
0: Yeah. Mm. And they tried he was to look for Columbus. They try to seal him shut in an apartment complex, but the the Lord kicked it down to, for him like Lazarus moving the rock to open the tomb open. Uh, so he could come mm. back to Houston for us. But thank God, uh, Easterby's magic touch, his magic fingers were able to heal. Kim McGregor Hill's torn ACL and Grugier Hill is going to be okay. And he won't miss out the rest of the season with the ACL tear. Cause like Grugier Hill's been a lot of fun to watch this year. Like he's really smart. He shoots gaps. Well, he has great footwork at the linebacker position. Uh, he had two tackles for a loss this game. He had, 20, he had 19 tackles the week before, you know, I've, I thought the signing for him was kind of really silly as a coverage linebacker can't cover, but he's been a really just solid, intelligent football player this year. And I'm, as we we're trying to find like things to think of to enjoy the last four weeks of the season, Losing Grugier-Hill would be one of the the saddest parts of whatever we're going to try to do for the last four weeks of these.
2: Well, yeah, he's been our defense for this for like the last several weeks, like the yep. entire defense.
0: If he's not
1: around the play, then I mean, even when he's around the play, it's not always a great result for the Texans. But if he's not, you know, it's just bad juju. So,
2: <laughs> yeah. Also, I,
1: we think it got for Jack
2: Easterby because I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far.
0: Repeat that one more time.
2: Are we, are we thinking God for Jack Easterby healing Connor Griget? So are we thinking God for Jack Easterby? Because I'm not sure I want to do that.
0: Yes, I, I, I think it was for sure it used to be that healed him. I think it was like a Green well, Mile situation. It's, you know, you know? it's
1: kind of a 50% rule. Like, we'll solve one problem, but there may be other problems that come from come forth from
0: there. So. Uh, so it's like, instead of a monkey's paw, it's an Easterby finger is what it is. Yeah, Something to that effect. The finger, you know? yeah. the finger will help you in one weird way, but then all of a sudden DeAndre Hopkins has gone for David Johnson. Yeah.
1: There's, there's, there's uh-huh. always a price. There's always a price. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's always two uh-huh. sides to that coin. So that's all the, all the talk I have from this game. We have some really great listener questions. And yeah, you know, before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you, Pat, about this Russell Wilson your trade saga, I know you live up there in Seattle. I know you're inundated uh, you with you know Russell Wilson, trade talk probably since this summer, even to this day. Uh, give me the scoop on it. Do you think Wilson's going to be traded, or is this something that's just been kind of overblown by the media uh, after the conversations they had earlier this summer?
2: I would say earlier this summer, it was definitely a lot overblown. I'm willing to give it more likelihood now that he gets traded because he seems pretty unhappy, I couldn't tell you why exactly, but because I haven't been in as inundated as I have been in the past. But he does not seem like he wants to be here, and I don't think he's going to be here much longer.
0: Yeah, because that's
2: one or two more years. I couldn't tell you.
0: Yeah, Seattle is five and eight right now, um, you know, mainly because of Wilson's you know injury to his finger. Where Geno Smith, I don't think was awful as a backup quarterback, but you, know, whenever you have a team carried by uh, your quarterback like Wilson is makes it a little bit different, and also Wilson's gonna be thirty four next year too, and he's having to play kind of a different style right now as well. And so how how long he's here isn't here, um, you know it's tough to say. I I do think well let's say for example Pat that the Texans the the Seahawks trade Wilson they get like you know two first round picks for him. Could you imagine a world where Seattle trades for Russell Wilson and then uses that trade that draft capital? and then throws a player or two to flip those picks to turn him into Deshaun Watson?
2: Mm, no, I would say probably not, because what pl- one, what players would you get for him? Because they're not about to give you Chris Carson or Alex uh God, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Or Rashad Penny, who I, I guess the Texans have resorted his career somehow.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, they were for sure They were for sure when Rashad Penny after this game yesterday.
2: Yeah, and he's not worth it. Um, you're not going to get any of the receivers because those are like, they're really big name guys. And God, good luck you getting Dwayne Brown back. Please, Dwayne, come back home. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, I just don't see them having the assets because one of the things that uh, Seattle's GM is pretty famous for is training first round picks for taking home run, like taking home run swings and talent. He did it with Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, and now with Jamal Adams, which is now the Jets' fourth overall pick. So he's not exactly, I don't, even if they were willing to do it, I think there'd be a huge outcry if they attempted it just because he's had such a bad track record with these
0: home run swings. Hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just don't, like, I think if they traded Wilson, they would have to have some, because this roster's kind of built for now, you know, with how much veteran talent they have, the fact they don't have draft picks. And so they traded for Wilson, they would have to already have, like, some sort of backup plan in place for quarterback for next year, you know, because they try to keep right. this window open a little bit. And that's really the only way I could think of them doing it. I could imagine them getting like Garoppolo, uh, I think Jameis could be fun in Seattle because they're wide receivers they have on the outside. But I think it'd be you know, very stupid at the same time. I just don't really know what they would do if they traded Wilson from a quarterback position. And I really that's like this. The only way I think I could see him do it just because they like to make big swings and make big moves like that. And it's really like the only way I think you could trade Wilson is if you have that door open to be able to go back and then get a quarterback who's very young immediately afterwards, you know.
2: Yeah, and that would be like, you would have to have that for like a you're certain you're going to be able to pull Watson, and they just I just don't think they have enough in the tank to make it worth their while because you heard what they were offering what Miami was offering and they turned it down flat. Yeah, so Seattle doesn't even have that going for them, and they're not. There's just no. I just don't see how they have the resources to pull off the Sean Watson trade.
0: Yeah, I well I want I want Dwayne Brown, I want three first round picks, I want Darrell Taylor. I want Al Woods, and I don't think Jordan Brooks is that good, but we'll take Jordan Brooks also.
2: Yeah, that's that seems fair. I mean, because, yeah, like I said, you're not going to get DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett because those are like their two big weapons. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, I think that's – you'd have to get at least those guys.
0: And you and you have to get Rushaw Penny also for what he just did this past week. God,
2: um, no, no, stop that! You're going to make it happen. I'm going to You're very unhappy
1: with you. Yeah, you'll you'll get like a half season out of him, and he'll, that'll match oh, the yardage Jones. total that he had against the Texans Sunday. That that's what you'll get out of him if he's running behind this line. So, yeah, out so, Collins, that was the guy I was thinking of. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Scott, have you found your football feeling yet?
2: <laughs> oh God!
0: I think I found mine. I I think I know wow, mine I, I now think. Um, mine.
1: I, I think. I'm at the, where it, the Texans are concerned. Uh, apathy is the one where that just comes right to the forefront. And I, I didn't think I would say that about a Houston team, but I really am to the point like, you know, cause normally if my other teams lose. I'm I'm not really happy about it for a little bit, you know, or like when the Astros lost the world series. I, I was pissed for a couple of days, but you know, Texans lose now. It's like, eh, what? Okay. It, it's, and, and the last time I think I felt that sort of thing, and I think the last time City Houston did was uh, when the Oilers said, yeah, we're leaving. Like, everyone's like, all right, good, see you. Don't let the door hit you in the ass, you know. And that, that's not a good thing for a lot of reasons. So, I mean, you know, the Texans are still valued at about $3.3 billion, I think, was the last from Forbes this year, although I can't imagine that number's going to be that high after this season with, Decreased ticket sales and merchandising is going to has probably got to be nose diving fast. So um, I'm not. It's an unfortunate thing. It should not be this way for Houston at all, but it is. And I'm not sure this cast and crew is going to have any sort of. Quick or reasonably decent progression for some time, it it could change, but just what I'm seeing right now. Mm. It's going to be a while before you can get really, really juiced about the Texans, I think.
0: Uh, Pat, what's your football feeling?
2: Um, Mine tends to hover between, um, it kind of flip-flops between numbness, nihilism, madness, and um, there's a fourth one I can't seem to remember off the top of my head, but I would say it's more or less about – feeling like it's kind of how do I say this exactly a lot my I've had a kind of a rethinking about how I watch football these days and it's partly like a defense mechanism about how about Texans being so bad it's only bad if you're expect if you're thinking of watching the Texans and hoping for them to win or lose or hoping for them to win if you look at it i mean the p- entire point of watching football is to be entertained right and so i've taken it to look watching the team not in terms of like hoping they win or watching players develop i just want a couple of laughs i want to see if they're going to screw up i want to see really big screw-ups i want to see like i want to see davis mills throw backwards somehow and throw an interception <laughs> i want to see just the dumbest football you could possibly imagine. And all, And then I just want to be able to laugh about what they're doing because it's going to entertain me because something like that isn't supposed to happen. It's novel. The worst thing about this team is when they lose, they do it boringly. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really upsetting to me. It's like, you know, if you're going to suck – Suck interesting,
1: and that's always been if you look that's, at the history. That's, that's why I told my ex wife <laughs> yeah. they, um, if they were going to lose, they were always going to lose in a fascinating way. Whether they would be entertaining in the loss, and even last season at that dumpster fire of a year, you had like the, the fun fumbles against Indianapolis. I mean, that's like the NFL follies couldn't script that both games would end. On dumb fumbles inside the five-yard line, you you couldn't do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. At least they could be funny and entertaining, but it's worst case. They're they're bad and they're boring. It, you know, the, the, there's no Q factor. There's no excitement. Other the fake punt punt was hilarious. Yes, I mean that was great, but it otherwise what? I mean a three and out and just teams methodically like. Showing up the defense. That ain't exciting.
0: hmm Yeah, that was kinda of, I think the biggest difference between last year and this year was like you mentioned, Pat, with how how funny it was that they lost last year. Like whether it was you have know, Bill O'Brien refusing to use that two minute hurry up offense against the Steelers and then get and then have the Steelers had one of the worst run offenses of football, kind of chew them out in the second half, or Will Fuller being unable to make the catch that DeAndre Hopkins can make against Gary Kubiak, which led to Bill O'Brien being fired, or uh Kiki Cutie fumbling into the end zone, or Nick Martin fumbling the snap, or Nick Martin missing uh and then missing the block so bad he he fumbles the snap and all the other like, you know, variety of outcomes. But a lot of the games this year have been kinda of like that Chicago game last year, where the Texans were just like crushed, you know, forty one to nothing and you know, nothing really has kinda of matter from that. And I yeah, I agree with that too. It's just like I wanna see if you're going to lose at least like make sure it's kind of interesting or somewhat. and I think like at least this game, the first half of it was that, and then this game is like I don't thought this game was like pretty fun. it wasn't like how the indie game was, but I think my football feeling I finally found it, and it's like when you order chips at Chili's or whenever you get a uh, a soda from Taco Bell, it's bottomless. There's no bottom to the misery, so my football feeling is is bottomless.
2: yeah that sounds about right.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, Scott, exactly. we have three listener questions here and then we're going to end tonight's show. Can you, can you stick around for 10 more minutes, maybe five more yeah. minutes? Yeah. I'm good. I'm good with that actually. All so. right. So Scott, our first one's from at James K Mills, the third, he said, let's assume David Cole is one and done. Who would you like to see interviewed for the job? I personally like to see Byron Leftwich or Raheem Morris
1: on the surface i wouldn't argue with either of those two options um but the things for any coach one you're walking into a situation where you're under the reign of the Mick easterby um yeah you're gonna have a better draft pick situation than you did coming in last year but you know how much leeway are you gonna get um do I think any of those type of prospects would be better than what we're seen with David Culley? Yes, but how many are going to really want to come here? Yeah, there's only 32 head coaching jobs <laughs> in the NFL, so they're not. You know, you you got to strike while well, the iron's hot. But I mean, and I I still feel like that if at some point in some conversation up in New England, someone hears someone saying a bar. Or just walking around Patriot practice, Josh McDaniels like, I wonder what it'd be like to coach in Houston. You know, Houston will go full court press try to try to bring him in. I, I don't, swear don't to necessarily God, want him in, happen. but I, I can so see that happening. That they are. Yeah, I, I think McDaniels is just.
0: I think he's. I think they already kind of like have a hush, like a like a hush hush, like you're gonna take the job over from Bill already, because he left Indy, you know. So. After a gringer there, I think Bill Clone was like, Look, we're just gonna give it to you whenever I'm done. And like Bill's, you know, seventy two years old and that sort of thing. So I don't really think uh McDaniels is an option. And like for me, like I don't know. I still like the enemy. I think Dable hasn't done a very good job this year just because he's gone really into like, well, we gotta run the football in January to win playoff games and now their offense is kinda taking a hit, you know, from that as well too. Um, I just don't really like in previous, like, I don't know. I just don't really have a good feel for it just yet. So there's not like a really a name that I love a lot. I think left, which is interesting just because the Bucks like run like a, a real power, heavy run offense with the live, like three tight end sets and they run a lot of vertical routes off of it. They run a lot of play action off of it. That works out pretty well. Um, and they have a good screen game and like, it seems to kind of match like what Houston's ideology may be with unique you know, serio. Where you run the football and, and and then take some shots off play action, but they just have so much investment in the wide receiver position, which doesn't really match what New England's done typically too. I know it's kind of a cop out. I just don't really have one right now. It's
1: I, it's a little early in the coaching season and you know and, and where I go back to like strategic direction, do you still want to try to ride out like a, a multi year rebuild that we haven't completely blown up the old foundation? There's still some things we gotta do in the second round of demolition. If that's the case, you keep Cully, and then set it up in 2023, and you know foreshadowing a bit like guys like uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are suddenly going to become available in the draft, so potential future franchise quarterbacks there. And then like, okay, Cully got us through this; we cleared out absolutely all the garbage. 2023 is we're going to make our move, but I I don't get a sense what their strategic direction is. Do they want to try? To ramp up and rebuild for 22, or they're going to look a little longer scale and go maybe thinking 24, 25. When we're really back (laughs) in business, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I also just think it's something where, like, like I think David Cole has been so bad this year that I don't think you can bring him back next season. I I don't know if they're going to or not, but if it was like up to me, if I was in the Casario, I couldn't bring him back just because of how you know bad the decisions have been, how you know like. The lack of improvement throughout the board for the young players. And and also, I think, too, they're just going to have problems signing players next year. You know, they're having problems fielding a roster next season after seeing some of these veterans come here and just like, just suck, you know? And I don't really, I don't know how many of these guys are actually going to have the chance to get a bigger contract next year aside from Malik Collins, you know? Um, so I think that's kind of, that's the big problem that they're facing, but it's also like with this draft, there's not a quarterback that anybody really kind of loves. And maybe you go all the way on defense, this draft, and then you take a defensive head coach and you kind of build like that. And then you can try to figure out the quarterback position, you know, a year or two down the line. And that opens the door for like, maybe, you know, a top bowls or Matt Everfluss. Um, and those were sort of, like Raheem Morris is the DC there at Los Angeles right now too. And maybe you go a defensive head coach because you're probably gonna have a draft where, you may draft like seven defensive players in it and, do, and go kind of the Carolina route and just try to fix your defense like that. And so I think that kind of plays a part of it as well too.
1: Well, I think honestly for draft strategy, it's best player available. You got so many holes on this roster and and you don't have the obvious quarterback that should be on the surface of top five pick. Now they're going to get overvalued and someone will get draft high. Yeah, but there's so many holes in this roster. Just, Whoever you think neutral all no you know, not considering about franchise quarter, but just whoever your best player on the board is, go. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. down the line.
0: Well, you pat is there any possible head coaches that have uh tickled your fancy at all?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't see any of them wanting to come here though. I mean if it's but I mean, I like the usual suspects that we were talking about last year with the enemy and the bull and ever so, I mean, I'm still on board the Brian Dable train, however the hell you say his name. Um, I would still like to see him. I don't think he's going to come here because we don't have a. We, like Scott said, we don't really have a quarterback for him to be a guru for, and he's. We just don't have. I just don't know. If, my thought is we're we're going to be stuck with the, uh, Colley for another two years probably, just be. One nobody because nobody wants to come here, and two, I don't think they're actually trying to win. So, but if we're gonna talk about coaches, I would like. I would like Brian De, Debole or, please, someone tell me how his this man. I think I called. say
0: I say Dable.
2: Okay, Dable, I'll go with that.
0: He wears like camouflage. I think he's very very French at all. Um, I'm, I think yeah. it's, I think it's Dable. Yeah, I. Uh... <sighs> Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I mean like it's, it's kinda just like a, a sucky spot to be in. Um our next question here is from at Hedy, or at Eddie underscore Hassan and he asked Pat, um, as a fan, why should I give Casario the benefit of the doubt when he hired David Coley? Should I be as disappointed with Casario as I am with David Coley?
2: I would say of the Of the uh, three blind mice we got running things here, I'm more willing to give Casario the benefit of the doubt than anybody else simply because he's had something of experience in New England. That said, I know his experience is, I've heard the stories about him being really cheap with his players. So I don't want to give him the whole benefit of the doubt, but I'm willing to, like, I'll let him, I'll cut him. The slightest bit of slack compared to say Easterby or Easterby or McNair or Cully or any of them because he may have hired Cully, but again think of who he's got working above him he's got Easterby working above him he's got McNair working his, I imagine his hands were pretty tied about who he could hire because I would like to believe that if it were up to him we would have gotten one of the three main candidates from last year instead of you know the head fighting coach
1: <laughs> yeah, I, where GMs are concerned, though, I think coaches, depending, you can, you know, I'm not a fan of sacking a guy after one year, but I can see that in some coaching situations. A GM, though, you kind of have to give him at least about two to three years to see how the man, if for nothing else, how the draft classes evolve in there, because that that's about how long it takes to figure if your draft is worth anything or not. So exactly. I'm not – some of the cap management I am – the cap management's gotten me concerned, but what, what was your vision? Again, going back to the long-term strategy, what what are we trying to do? A quick rebuild? Are we thinking like a longer-term thing? I, I don't know what he's trying to do there. But let's see how these – this next draft or so evolves before – I mean, I'm not super thrilled Casera, but I'm not ready to, like, throw him out immediately either. Carly, I can take or leave.
0: Yeah, I mean, my thing with Casario, like I, I think, I don't know. I agree with like the benefit of doubt part of it, where it's like, you know, way a few years. Like, I'm not sitting here saying that I think Nick Casario is gonna be an awful GM for the rest of his career at all. I just don't think Casario has shown anything at all to us that he's gonna be a good general manager yet. With the uh, the way he managed this off season last year, how this year been a year of stagnation and secondly gutting it, using this as just an off year and then being able to be in a better spot next year to immediately rebuild and because rebuild is going to be short in the NFL, but they already delayed it by the decisions he made this past off season. The contract restructures are really stupid. A lot of trades he made, you know, by giving him draft picks didn't work out very well at all. Um, the only good thing I can say is like, I don't think the draft class has been a catastrophe. You know, Roy Lopez has been like a solid nose tackle. Yep. Uh, Nico Collins, I think is quarterback dependent, but I think he can be like a, like a number three, your number four wide receiver, on a On a good football team, um, Brevin Jordan, we haven't seen him block yet. He can't beat man coverage, but he's shown the ability to like have some speed and do a little bit after the catch and he'll find some holes in the zone coverage. And Wallows made two plays this year, uh, which is something. I think the Davis Mills pick, you know, is bad at the time and is still bad. Davis Mills is bad, but and I don't really understand the quarterback spot. But the rest of the draft class has been good enough considering everything else, and it's been kind of like a Brian Gaines sort of draft without having like mm-hmm. a Justin Reed to kind of add to his collection of players there for it. But uh, yeah, I just, like I'm pretty indifferent to it. I, I think it was kind of a hard spot this year, but I don't think he did the Texas any favor this year or the rebuild any favors by, you know, what he did this past off season. But uh, we'll really kind of see what, what a Kassara football team may be like in a rebuild uh, next year, once he finally has the draft picks to be able to you know, make some true selections. So our last, yeah, qu- that... I was, I was going to say our last oh. question here, Scott is from at confused lefty. At this point of the season, have you fully embraced the tank and are hopping or in are, and are hoping for a top three pick?
1: <laughs> Embracing the either one well.
0: works, hopping or hoping. It's all the same thing.
1: <laughs> I think the a high draft pick's just inevitable at this point. Um you know, I guess if you want to you know we've got the glorious Sharknado's Super Bowl next week with Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. It's so bad it's gonna be good. Uh matchup. So that could be a win. I mean, if Urban Meyer is looking up to David Cully for how to run a team, then that tells tell you anything. And then, you know, what the Titans have at the end of the season, you know, if they've got the division locked up, they probably will. Maybe they're fighting for the bye, but if not and they're resting guys, who knows? Maybe the Texans just steal another win there too. But otherwise, you know you can probably count at least two maybe three more losses or they could possibly lose all four too which i think even if they went two and two and down the stretch like four four and 13 that's probably still going to at least get you into the top six top seven worst Mm -hmm. so and and the thing is there's not like the surefire there's not the andrew luck there's not the peyton manning there's not the trevor lawrence type there's There are guys that are very talented. And if you like one through seven, there's probably not a lot of tremendous difference overall. And as said before, for the Texans, just best player available. So Rack and Sack, you think the best are period dot, no matter the position, because everything you've got sucks here on the team right now. You can all use improvement and just go right down the line and draft them.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that too. The BPA part of it, um, I'm I'm all in the tank now just because, like, from what I've seen, from little, I haven't gone, I haven't done a whole lot of work on the draft yet or watched a lot of stuff for it. But it's like it just seems like it's either it's like Thibodeau and Hutchinson at one A one B, and then you're kind of stuck drafting either a corner or safety after that or an offensive tackle, you know. And so it's like I think Houston just doesn't have an impact player on their defense, and it looks like Hutchinson or Thibodeau could provide exactly that. And so, like, I'm all in on them losing this week. I'm a root for them to lose the last four weeks of the year. I'm all in the tank. You know, two wins is, is, a, is a disaster, and it's exactly what they deserve. But I cannot wait for the Super Bowl this weekend with this Jacksonville-Houston game. It's going to be <laughs> oh, so gosh. outrageously dumb, and it's going to be the best game of the season. This is what we've been is- working all year for.
2: This is the dumb stuff I've been waiting
0: for all season. <laughs> this is your dumb game, Pat. This is your Super Bowl.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think you, you can't do any satire this week because the game is just going to be satire itself. It, there, there's nothing to satirize. It, it already is already. Hard... Living, living satire. Season.
2: Yeah, that's been the hard part of this whole season. It's too hard to make fun of this team.
0: It's a it's it a is. it's it a mockery of the game of football. The Sunday's game is going to be because I mean the times I mean, the times just shut the Jaguars and that was with a lot of guys still out in their defense and the times like finally ran a little bit of play action. They even had Ben Jones doing a somersault in the in the end zone after a touchdown too. And then the Urban Meyer handshake was uh, especially hilarious oh, too. I saw that. So Pat, have oh, you have earth. you fully embraced the tank and are hopping and hoping for a top three pick?
2: Um, I don't know if I really embraced it so much as accepted it. Like, I, I don't like to root for the team to lose. I've never been that kind of guy that said, this team was not built to win We've this team was not going to be good. We, we all knew that going in. I mean, only the most diehard optimists and you know, me, Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Optimism, we, it's not like we saw this. saw we didn't see this bad team coming. So it's not so much that I was, so much a matter of embracing the tank. It's just like how bad the tank going to be.
0: I still, mm-hmm. I still don't think they were trying to tank this year. Though I, I still think Asaria thought they could win like six games oh. this year and then be able to leverage that into you know getting some better free free agents next year and be like, look at what we're building here in Houston. Look at this great culture. You know we have a, we have more cap space next year just because of the restructure part of it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a root for them to lose against the Jaguars on Sunday. I'm all in for it.
1: Well, oh yeah, sorry, whatever it's, whatever uh, it's worth. Sorry, the go. the Jags have opened up as three and a half point favorites. If you know, if you're in <laughs> god damn, I, was, I haven't seen what the over on like the over under is. Forty two points. Like, oh, I oh it, man, you're, that's too generous at forty. I'm thinking at least like thirty five or something.
0: I didn't think they can at least twenty. <laughs> Both of these defenses are bad. Our friend, our friend Luke Beggs from Bow Red Block, who doesn't write here anymore, uh, he's in he's in America, and he may go to the Jaguars game this weekend because he's gonna be in Jacksonville. I said you absolutely have to go. And uh, yes, I, I, if I was uh, a more fr- if I was a freer man with less responsibility, I for sure would have made the drive out to Jacksonville to go this extremely stupid football game this weekend.
2: <laughs> I'm good. I get to go to the the, uh, Chargers game the week after that. So, I mean, that's going to be – if it's going to be – it may not be the Super Bowl, but, God, there's going to be some dumb stuff happening there. I
1: can only hope.
0: Yeah, Justin Herbert throwing a football through the stadium with it open. (laughs) Um, Well,
1: I mean, you'll hit peak stupidity this week, so everything else is just downhill from there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is the climax this weekend. Yeah. Everything else is falling action. Um, well, that's all I have for tonight. I think this was a, a very good episode. I'm glad we we're able to get Pat here to talk about the Seattle football team as well lo- as well with this Houston football team. I'm glad to have you back on the show again, Sky. I know it's been a couple of weeks, and we'll have uh, plenty of shows to do as we you know get through the rest of this year and start to, be able to do some draft stuff and free agency stuff, and then you know, trudge through the off season all over again. Do it again next year. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts? Do You have anything you're working on that we should keep our eyes out for?
1: Uh, I think uh, just just embrace the stupidity. It, it's at this point that's all you can do. Just I, I think we get we will get a good chance for humor this week, if nothing else, a lot of laughs.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't post a I can't post a plague night gif here like I usually
1: like I do after really stupid
2: stuff happens. But just imagine me doing that little dance. And that's kind of the only thing I got left from this team. <laughs> How the hell are there still four more games left? <laughs>
0: Can you uh, can you put like a like a jaguar head on the plague doctor for this weekend? Yeah. Or put put Toro. All right. You actually you could do it where it's like it's Toro and then whenever it turns, it flips into a jaguar and it turns again, it flips into a Toro. I could
2: I could give that a shot. Yeah.
0: I think that'd be beautiful. I can't guarantee
2: it, it'll be good, but I can give it a try.
0: No, it'd be beautiful. Whatever you come up with is always beautiful. I'll see what I can do. I can't can't wait for it. It's going to be the game of the century for us over here in Houston. (laughs) Um, So that's all we have for our show tonight. Until next time, I'm at Weston. Thank you for listening to Bauer Radio. We'll have a a preview show back on this Friday after missing the last two weeks. And uh, we'll be really kind of locked in from here on out, uh, watching Texans video and talking about the Texans. And then also going to the postseason on the Rams to Super Bowl. So, until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bow Red Radio, and thank you for being on tonight, Scott and Pat.
2: Yep, thank you. Woo!
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.